Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later on, Joy Fielding, the New York Times best-selling author who was once called an ingenious master of domestic suspense, joins me to talk about her new novel, The Housekeeper. It's a suspenseful story about a woman who hires a housekeeper to care for her aging parents, only to watch as she slowly takes over their lives. That's later on. We'll also meet Kelly McCormack, one of the stars of the Amazon Prime series, A League of Their Own. We talk about the first time she saw the original Penny Marshall film and what it meant to her and how stressful it was for her to have to say the film's most famous line, there's no crying in baseball. We'll get to Kelly in just a little while. First, though, let's meet father and daughter Neil Osborne and singer-songwriter Candle. Neil is the lead singer of 5440 and has a remarkable catalog of hit songs, including Baby Ran, I Go Blind, Ocean Pearl, and the award-winning Since When. Candle is a musician, singer, and songwriter with a solo career, and she's collaborated with her father in the past, but now they've made it official. They've formed their own band, a modern-day psychedelic blues rock duo called A Family Curse. The A Family Curse collaboration actually began a few years ago when Neil and songwriter Danny Michelle recorded some instrumental jams together, but due to their busy schedules, the songs were left to collect dust until Neil sent them to Candle. She added fresh new melodies and lyrics, and from there, Candle and Neil decided to form a band and make an entire album. Here's Neil and Candle Osborne of A Family Curse. They joined me via Zoom from the west coast of Canada. little bit about the name it's such a great name for a band look at making music as a family curse or a blessing and you should answer that one since you're the you're the spawn you see since i came up with the name idea i have gotten in a lot of trouble because the band itself has had a lot of bad weird luck and no because of the name that i chose he might be right yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I why didn't you call it the family fortune? I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Is it so, Maybe for the next record, you, 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 you flip the name to the family fortune or the yeah, family well, good luck or something like that. Yeah, family, it's funny because when we first started releasing this, well, just putting it out there, which is couple, what she's referring to, it's taken a couple of years to get yeah. this out. But uh, there was... Uh, uh another band called family curse and another band called the family curse but they're all they're both extinct which you know <laughs> is the curse <laughs> so we're, we're trying to hang in there as i was listening uh, to the new music the a family curse music that you've released i was thinking of uh there's kind of a swampy sound to some of it uh i i read here that uh there's a quote from you the music is pure folk art it worked from found objects, something old, something new. I think the, the other element you can sort of put in is sort of a blues, Texas blues vibe. This is what I kind of get out of it too. You know, some of those slide tunings are from that era or that sound. And 
So it's sort of New Orleans meets Texas blues up in Canada. Canada's <laughs> <laughs> kind of got a, I think it's kind of a vintagey sounding voice, you know, mm. especially when we process it through an old mic and an old amp or something, which is a lot of that record is. So nothing is sort of, you know, your professional mic that Beyonce would sing into or something. It was just like, what would they have done if they were in a garage in Texas or New Orleans in, in 1952? You know, well, they probably would have just grabbed something and sung into it. You know, yeah. well, let's do that. If I don't make a sound, will he still say goodbye? I shake and shudder and roll back to my mother crying. Why? Music can be made any old way. Yeah. You know, you can, you can go sort of all, I don't know what, what, what would the word be, corporate or whatever, and get it all, or you can just start playing and put mm -hmm. a mic in front of it and go, yeah, that's music. Yeah. Does it feel good? Yeah. If it feels good, you're done. <laughs> You've been making music on and off for years. What brought it together officially as a band? I guess we started making videos. So, so, so when COVID happened, Canada was trapped in Vancouver, living with her parents. Uh, of yeah. which I'm one. I'm one of them. Yes. And uh, so, you know, you go on Amazon, it's like, oh, a green screen. Let's order a green screen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's order a little tripod for the iPhone. Yeah. I mean, why don't we start making videos for the, uh, you know, for the album when, if and when it comes out. And then that sort of started the things. And Alan, our manager, um, and, and then the Elmo people started to get more keen and excited. And yeah, I guess here we are talking to you. You're listening to Neil and Kendall Osborne of A Family Curse on The Richard Krause Show. Find their album, A Family Curse, wherever fine music is sold. It must be exciting to have this come out. It's not often that you get to work with family and you get to uh, you know, explore this kind of um, you know, relationship that you have, plus this relationship that clearly you both have with the music. So tell me a little bit about um, the the subject matter of the songs and, and how you work together. Do you sit in a room together and, and bang out the songs or because of the pandemic, was it done via Zoom? How does it work? Well, I, I, we did a lot of it remotely where I, I had some of the tracks. So four of the tracks were songs that Danny, Michelle and I were kind of trying to get going. Yeah. And we just had the instrumental tracks and then we didn't know what to do with them so i threw them to candle and i said you know why don't you sing something to this and she'd say well why don't you name it and i said okay call this cemetery blues <laughs> and then because she had she has that affinity for that old sound 50s 60s texas new orleans sound and i like it too so and it's something you know when you do your own stuff like 5440 or the candle you kind of go in a direction and it's just pulls you along and you become that right. and you can't really get out of that sound so this is cool that we could sort of explore that sound. And like I said, uh, you know, I'd be experimenting with some of those Texas slide tunings. And then I'd say, you know, oh, this is this is called Cast a Curse. What are you going to sing to that? And then she'd wow. just come up with the words of the melody and be like, wow, that's cool. I think we got a band. <laughs> <laughs> and was that, Kendall, your plan at the beginning of all of this, that there'd be a band at the end of it? Or was it just a cool project to work on with your father? Just a cool project. I mean, it wasn't like that different from basically how we've been forever of mm. ideas and sharing and collaborating, whether it's just for an opinion or an idea or like play guitar on this, sing on this. What do you think of this? I need a lyric here. So it wasn't like that big of a jump from how we 
we always are but the fun thing about family curse is we we kind of agreed first of all we'd always stay fun Mm -hmm. the main priority and we gave ourselves permission to be something different than what I do in my project and what dad does in 5440 and that kind of you know was how we went about having this different sound that is different from what we do and it was the first time I'd ever written songs kind of that were like lies that were stories adventures about robbing bars and in a getaway car and all these (laughs) (laughs) in my work I feel my writing is so very vulnerable and truthful and I'm always just writing to express myself and what's you know the hardships and struggles that I go through and then in curse I'm like what if we're robbing a bank? <laughs> <laughs> well, Neil, 5440 has been together for 40 years. And, you know, you were obviously 42, play, 42 years. So you've been, you know, and you were obviously playing before that. Uh, how do you keep it fresh and interesting and fun to, to pick up a guitar every day? Well, this is a big part of it. I yeah. get to, be the, I get to be the fun lead guitar player uh, in Family Curse, yeah. um, you know, and, and pursue other other lines of inquiry i guess musically as as they say and uh i don't know it's just sometimes i don't play guitar for a week or two and then i pick it up and it's fun you know it's just just like a i don't know it's easy yeah and candle growing up were you just surrounded by music yeah it's it's funny because probably in every interview i've ever done people want to know about my childhood but it's the only one i knew you know Mm -hmm. like of course, music was everywhere. Didn't everyone have festivals and studios and rock and roll? <laughs> it was part of my my life since day one and a part that I always really loved. And I loved how dad's whole crew and band and everyone were like family, you know, and I felt like everybody was there for everybody. And it, I think that's why his band has lasted so long is they're really good people that have a lot of love for each other and a lot of love for their craft. And it shows, you know, like no one's ever disappointed leaving a 5440 show. <laughs> <laughs> and you will take this on the road. You'll be touring with this uh, yeah. and, and playing live shows. Tell me about uh, touring as father and daughter. It's got to be a little different than if you were just touring with with uh, your band or hired musicians or, or other people. This feels different. Sometimes there's a bit of a diva competition. <laughs> But uh, I try to let Canada win. No, uh, well, because this, we did a bunch of shows in June in, in Southern Ontario. And uh, we had Danny Michelle, who's a great mood guy. Yeah. And then Candle's boyfriend, Jeff, on bass, who's also a great mood guy. So we just kept everything really fun and funny. And uh, we were just happy to be anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. we played somebody's garage. We played someone's living room. We played a few nightclubs. We played a big club, you know. And uh, it's neat kind of doing that again, where you don't have a a care in the world. It's, you know, you're not careering as it were. You're just making music and playing music and having fun. Candle is a tree. You played in someone's living room. Garage. (laughs) No, we played that day, that guy's birthday party too. Remember? (laughs) A living room and a garage. Yeah. garage. how it starts baby that was neil and kendall osborne of a family curse on the richard krauss show find their album a family curse wherever fine music is sold let's meet kelly mccormack 
Kelly recently starred in the Netflix hit series Ginny and Georgia, but she's best known for her work on the show Letterkenny, where she played the combative hockey player Betty Ann. On A League of Her Own, the new Amazon Prime reboot of the beloved Penny Marshall baseball movie, she plays Jess, a shortstop from Moose Jaw, Canada, who was born to do just one thing. Let's play baseball. When playing, she feels like her best self, and when she isn't, well, she's just waiting for the game to begin. Kelly McCormack joined me via Zoom to discuss how athletics and acting have more in common than you might think, the first time she saw Penny Marshall's original film, and much, much more. Congratulations on the show. Oh, man, thanks. I'm so happy it, it's out. It, yeah, it's a bit of a journey, right? So how long have you been involved with this? Um, I was cast in November of 2019. And then, yeah, I after like three months of auditioning, even though Abby afterwards told me that the part was always mine, <laughs> I was like, well, you really put me through the ringer there because I flew out. I, I was shooting a TV show here in Toronto and I flew out to L.A. like three or four times for like a callback, a chemistry read, a studio test. And then afterwards, she was like, oh, the part was always yours. I was like, cool. <laughs> well, at <laughs> um, least you got some air mile points out of it. Like aeroplan points. <laughs> Listen, we, we survive off of those. So, yeah. Yeah, that's how long I've been involved. And the pandemic, I assume, played a part in that. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, being a working actor. Uh, this You've got this huge project coming, and then the world turns upside yeah, down. Yeah, we, we shot the pilot in uh, like Jan February of 2020. So obviously right before the pandemic, we had trained, you know, uh, for baseball for about a month and we, we'd all become this very incredibly meshed team. We were all obsessed with each other. So it wasn't just like I was cast in the show. I just had this, like, I had all these like new best friends that I was like playing ball with. And I was excited. I just moved to Los Angeles. Um, when I, cause I was sort of, I've been going back and forth. I moved to LA and then, you know, I remember us being on set and it being like, oh, weird, there's a, there's a case in Washington right now. I'm like, that's crazy. And then the pandemic hit and then I fled the country and was in Vancouver for most of it on an island with my mother. And um, yeah, it really felt like it was never going to happen. Like it just kind of felt there was this huge moment where I was like, oh, we're going to be a part of something big. And then it just sort of, you know. So with the fact that we came back and that we shot in Pittsburgh and that it's finally coming out, it just feels like kind of surreal. And you've been acting since you were very small. I think seven years old, you were on stage. Did that give you time to then play sports and that kind of thing outside of that? Do you have any kind of sport background? Oh, yeah. I uh, I was a very, I have been like this my whole life. Like if my, my mom says, Kelly's not happy unless she's more, if she, unless she's like busier than everybody. Like I, I have always been like absolutely voraciously curious about school. I was one of those losers who just not losers, nerds, <laughs> nerds who just like love school. I never took a, I never had a, um, what are they called? Uh, like where you don't have a class. Oh, uh, uh, um, a, a spare. Yes, yeah, I never a had a spare because I like I had I like took classes like <laughs> way I was you know whatever I was um yeah so I was an athlete uh my mom was a synchronized swimming coach and um she couldn't afford the babysitter so she was like get in the water so I started <laughs> I started synchronized swimming when I was four 
And I was on a team until I was like 20 and we were a nationally competitive team. We swam like we swam before school and after school. Um, and then I did, um, so I was, I was on this like a pretty competitive, pretty intense synchronized swimming team. Um, and uh, I also played volleyball quite a bit. I played baseball. Uh, I played a tiny bit of hockey and then I ended up doing letter candy. So I had to do hockey again. And then um, I, uh, I played a little water polo after, after synchro and then competitive swimming and then open ocean swimming. So You're listening to Kelly McCormack on the Richard Krause show. Her series, A League of Their Own is streaming now on Amazon Prime. Sports have always been like a very uh, easy parable to acting in a way like I I, right. I understand them as the same thing like the high pressure the performance the adrenaline the the sense working of, together totally like they've always and I think that's why I've always gravitated towards playing athletes on camera like though no one's asked me to be a synchronized summer yet still <laughs> kidding. uh I yeah it was always so theater and being a theater nerd and a jock were kind of the same things for me, even mm -hmm. though those scenes are not really a thing. But yeah, I've been on stage and um, singing in 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 classical music and musical theater and theater since I was seven years old. I didn't start working in film until like not even that long ago. Like I will say, like eight years ago, seven years ago. Before that, it's I only just wanted to be on Broadway. That's all I wanted. <laughs> well, perhaps when the league of its own goes to Broadway, listen, I'm it's ready. Perfect for a musical treatment, I think. I mean, I wonder if it's in the works. I mean, that would be kind of fun, like kind of like damn Yankees, but yeah. I mean, the costumes are so good. Yeah. Who doesn't want those on stage? Well, tell me a little bit about your relationship with the Penny Marshall film. Uh, it is a beloved classic. It's 1992. You would have been very young when it came out. So tell me when you first saw it and what impact it had on you. I don't remember ever seeing it for the first time. I just remember always knowing it. Like mm. it was one of, it was, it was like Goonies. There was no before, <laughs> it was like Goonies and the Labyrinth, which is my favorite film of all time. Um, they don't, they just were in my consciousness and mm -hmm. we, and there, there was a VHS tape and we just watched it, I think. And then it was syndicated to an oblivion. So we saw it. Um, the impact it had, I mean, I think one of the reasons that it's so beloved is because of this very magical, emotional shimmer that a lot of films in the 90s had. This sort of ultra feel good, not like, you know, not cynical, uh, family based, like, I don't, there was something about movies in the 90s, particularly sports movies in the 90s that have this real kind of quality to them. Um, and I just remember crying every time I watched it. Like even <laughs> as There's a real underdog feel to it as well that I think people really respond to. And I always think that like the really great sports movies aren't really about the sport. I mean, baseball, absolutely. But there's universal themes that go along with their stories about perseverance, about, uh, you know, uh, being the underdog and, and never giving up. And those are the things I think that people really respond to, because whether you've been on a baseball diamond or not ever in your life, you can still relate to the themes that come out in the story. Absolutely. What you're saying, I completely agree with. And also, you know, there's, there's this is like the, the the biggest or the most successful baseball flick of all time and i will say that when i would tell men that i was in a league of their own the look on their face was like 
oh man, that's my favorite movie of all time. It's this like holy, like holy spiritual reaction. And I think that, yeah, people love an underdog story. And honestly, what could be more on a underdog than women in sports? Mm-hmm. We're the largest, we're the largest group of underdogs, 50% of the population in the sports. Like the fact that we're doing it, like for even for women to even step onto the mound, step up to the plate, they've already had to undergo so many um, tests and tries and tribulations. Um, but they're like, what's not to love? And then, and then also to know that one of the great, like the, the most watched, most successful baseball flick of all time, the team you're rooting for doesn't even win. And I think that's a testament to like the, that these women and their relationship with sports and their relationship with each other isn't necessarily based in a um, masculine idea of what succeeding and what winning looks like. And I think that, I think that's what gives it that very warm, interesting, uh, unique quality now you say when you saw the script and the series you said your first reaction was i've never seen something like this before mm-hmm. um what does that mean what what was it about it that was so special for you it really shouldn't be the case that i hadn't seen it before but to see queerness stated so blatantly and to see um what they were trying to do with representing the segregation in Rockford by truly in some ways, and I mean this, you know, literally segregating the show to two different narratives. I had never seen that before. I think I'd seen only segregation approached through like, like a white, like white people telling the story of segregation or like black creators telling the story of segregation and it being like from either side, this sort of like, we're just going to follow two communities in the same city and this being a more of a snapshot of a generation in equal parts. Um, I had never seen that. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, you'd know better than I do, but like, if you've ever seen that type Mm -hmm. of like, you know, bookending that. Um, And then in terms of being treating the gay narratives as commonplace as is if they were straight was very exciting to me. Um, There were times on set where we were like, is this, is this too gay? (laughs) You know, like, are we making this too gay? But then again, you sort of slap yourself on the wrist and realize that such like an internalized, uh, like an internalized homophobic idea, because no one's ever, I've never been on set and being like, is this too straight? Mm -hmm. Actually, that's, I've absolutely thought that before. (laughs) Hold on. I 100% have been like, this show is too straight. Um, <laughs> definitely thought that, but you know what I mean? Like no one's ever had a problem with, um, with that. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just been, it's just the way it is. It's like, it's, it's like for, and that's, and that's sort of like white narratives and straight narratives have just been like the, this, like the starting place of all things. So to see them all just flourish and, 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 uh, and to come out like that, I'd never, I'd never read a script like that where I was like, wow, I'm not even, I'm not even like, there was no time where I was like, Oh, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, but I'm just, you know, as an actor, you can only, you can only really control what you say no to. And if I said no to everything based on like my political views or like lack of representation, I would never work, but you, you do get to a point where you sort of have to start making those choices. And I'm at that point where I'm like, I'm not going to say yes to something that I don't think is trying to change the world a little bit. Well, and again, I think 
because of the portrayal of queerness in this television show, um, you can extrapolate, uh, again, universal themes from that of love. And, yes. you know, if you are a team and a family and, you know, the love that comes along with that is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think we as women and as queer people and, you know, and, and then also people of color, it's like we have asked people of color to see themselves in white narratives for so long. We have asked queer people to see themselves in straight narratives. We've asked women who, again, are 50% of the population <laughs> to see themselves in 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 sports movies and in, in, in the underdog story. I mean, I'm excited about men watching the show and, and seeing themselves in not just the female stories, but the queer stories and seeing them, as you just said, stories of like of timeless stories of love, of um, identity, of self-determination, of you know, choosing between your personal life and your private, or your, your, your public life and your private life and your vocation and the expectations of your family. Like it's so rich and it's time for that. It, I think I think we're getting there, but you know, I I like how the queer narratives are just treated like just a narrative, mm -hmm. not a not like a, yeah. I interviewed um, a performer named Vivek Shraya a little while ago. Love and yeah, and uh, the point that they made was, I don't want to be regarded as a trans performer. I just want to be regarded as a performer. Yeah. And and I think that speaks to what you're saying here. Uh, this happens to be a queer story, but really it's a story. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's what? just a story. It's a story. Yeah. 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 I, and I and I and I share um Vivek's sentiment that um I'm a performer through and through. As you mentioned, I've been on stage since I was seven. I hope to have a career of a character actor, you know, somewhere right. between <laughs> Steve Buscemi and Tilda Swinton, something like, you know, I don't really, Steve Buscemi is like where oh, I'm going. Listen, <laughs> we should all be so lucky to have a career like Steve Buscemi. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's always sort of, uh, obviously these conversations are really important right now and representation is so important, but I really want to play I, I really want to just be an artist who's kind of every character I play is unrecognizable to them to each other. You're listening to Kelly McCormack on The Richard Krause Show. Her series, A League of Their Own, is now streaming on Amazon Prime. And my personal life and how I identify is kind of not important. Like, I just, I want it to be, I want to be known as an artist. And that's as simple as that. But it is tricky because right now we're in this period where authentic like authentic portrayals are really important so but it is yeah the not wanting to be put in that kind of like queer canadian actor <laughs> da, 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 da. like i'm just an artist even even at this point because i'm also a filmmaker and director and writer and stuff like that i just go i'm an artist i don't know i, I make puppets i also beat a lot <laughs> I, I i i always go to stores over christmas and get like pieces of like felt and make things like i don't know i'm at home painting and drawing and like this just that's it you say in the film or in the television series probably the most famous line from the film there's no crying in baseball that had to be a little nerve-wracking it's when people think of a league of their own i think that's one of the the flashes that they have yeah. tell me a little yeah. bit about that it was incredibly nerve-wracking i when i first read it in the script i was like oh my god what an honor and then i spiraled yeah. I spiraled into fear and unworthiness, um, which I still have <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it hasn't gone away. Um, 
I thought it was kind of neat because Jess so says so little and is kind of a, a, a brooding, smoldering person of few words that to say the iconic line would be kind of funny. I didn't rehearse it at all. I, I refused huh? to sort of say it to myself because, you know, as an actor, your whole job is to make your lines feel new and real and off the cuff. And it was really tough to say that line without it just like dinging, yeah. ding, 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 ding in your ear. Um, so I, yeah, it was like, I just was like, I'm not going to do an homage to Tom Hanks. There is only one Tom Hanks, that effervescent, perfect human of <laughs> like, you know, colossal talent. Yeah. I wasn't going to try and do Tom Hanks. So I just said it and walked away <laughs> and that was it. And I didn't know it would be like, I knew it was a famous line. I didn't know it would be like newsworthy. Mm. <laughs> like I'm sort of like, oh, this is big deal for people okay it, it, it is a big deal for people yeah. and i saw a uh, quest love uh probably one of the great drummers working today yeah. and he he was working with phil collins phil collins sang in the air tonight and quest love had to do the and he said later he was terrified it's yeah. a, he was just absolutely petrified to do what is a relatively simple thing, but it is it comes with such weight because it is such a a, a, a popular culture touchstone like the, like there's no yeah. crying in baseball that it it, it it has a bit of gravitas. To I know it. it totally does, and I feel really honored that Abby bestowed it onto me, yeah. and I and I hope that I did it even a little justice. But if I didn't, and we just continue with the Tom <laughs> donation, I'm just here to. Say it and move on. So it will be fine. And, and and then in an interview, someone was like, you know, what if Tom sees you do it? And I like <laughs> looked visibly terrified because I hadn't even considered that Tom would A, watch the show and B, see the line. So now I'm just like terrified to meet Tom and be like, hi, sorry. But he also uh, said that like nine times. Yeah. It's not just one time. He says that there's no crime. He says, no, no, no. He says it again and again and again and again. So maybe one of the times he says it, I did an okay version of. You've been listening to Kelly McCormack on The Richard Krause Show. Her series, A League of Their Own, is streaming now on Amazon Prime. My guest in this segment is author Joy Fielding. The New York Times bestselling author was once called an ingenious master of domestic suspense. She's back with a new book. She's here to talk about her novel, The Housekeeper. It's a suspenseful story about a woman who hires a housekeeper to care for her aging parents, only to watch as the housekeeper takes over their lives. In this interview, we talk about how Joy creates the characters that populate her books and how she keeps the ideas coming after writing 30 books. Joy Fielding, join me via Zoom. Let's talk about elder care. It is uh, a hot topic the, these days. Was the idea for this story kind of ripped from the headlines in a way? It's so funny because I honestly had no idea I was writing a book about elder care when I started. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's really funny how how all the you know how novels how ideas develop. I I really just started out. I thought. I'm going to write kind of a fun little story. Uh, and it, it was really kind of triggered by a, a young woman I know whose uh, her mother had recently died and her father remarried a woman within like a couple of months mm. uh, that, um, that that they knew, a, a woman they knew nothing about and, and uh, who, whether on purpose or inadvertently, uh, succeeded in kind of alienating him from the rest of his family. And I thought, 
so that's kind of was the genesis of that idea. I thought it'd be very interesting to have kind of a predatory female come into this uh, otherwise normal family and, and see what would happen. So I then developed the, the main character and I thought, okay, what's her family all about? And I, um, and I thought, okay, I didn't want to do kind of a, a young woman whose father had remarried. I wanted to get away from that completely. So I decided to have, you know, sort of a certified member of the Sam, the so-called sandwich generation, you know, a woman who's busy looking after her husband and children on the one hand and her elderly parents on the other hand. And I decided to, you know, complicate things a little more and, and give the mother uh, Parkinson's, you know, advanced Parkinson's disease and have have Jody, the heroine, have a, a rather difficult relationship with her fa her birth family anyway, and then sort of a, a demanding marriage and these two young children, you know, as many complications as I could throw in there uh, without kind of overwhelming the story. And it wasn't until I was really into the story that uh, that I realized that that really the whole issue of elder care was was even part of the story. You know, it was not something, I, though I'd love to take credit for it. It really didn't even occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Joy Fielding on The Richard Krause Show. Her new book, The Housekeeper, is available wherever you buy fine books. When you are writing a novel like this that has twists and unexpected things that happen, um, they have to feel believable to keep the reader engaged. So how do you craft a, a, a twist that actually works on the page? Ooh, I, you know, I've never been asked that before. And that's a really interesting question. Um, and I wish I had an answer. Um, I, uh, I think part of it is just the way my mind works. And I really don't think about it that much. I'm, I'm just pretty good at it naturally. Uh, so I can't really take credit. But um, I think it's always been my feeling that if you believe in a character, you will follow that character anywhere. So it doesn't matter if you have a story where a space a spaceship, you know, lands in your backyard and and your very modern day uh, heroine just enters the spaceship and takes <laughs> off. If if I have created a believable character, you'll go with me into that spaceship. Well, you have, uh, I don't know how many books, but there's a 30, lot of books, 30. 30 books. So you are very prolific. Has the process of writing gotten easier for you over that time? Uh, yes and no. Um, it's it's gotten easier in uh, the sense that I'm not as angst-ridden as I used to be. You know, I, I used to finish a book and think, oh my God, I'll never get another idea. What am I going to do? My life is ruined, you know, all that. Now uh, I figure, you know, I've had 30 ideas. The odds are I'm going to have another one. So I don't get too upset. Um, I'm a little, as I said, some books are, are easier than others. Some books just are, are gifts. They're just mm. like, here it is, just do it. And, <laughs> and, and The Housekeeper was one of those books. Um, Still Life was another one. You know, I've had a few where they just emerge. I just sort of let my fingers do the, the walking, as they right. say. Uh, and then others are like pulling teeth. Others are really hard. You know, you've got a good idea, but the structure is really hard to get at. I find I make the same mistakes over and over again. You know, you think you'd learn, you don't. <laughs> so uh, it, it's like, you know, I just, what, what's getting a little harder now is 
is that I don't like when I'm thinking of an idea for like my next book and I, I, I think of something, I think like something, as you say, ripped from the headlines. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't want to spend the next year being angry. I don't want to spend the next year being upset. So there are ideas now that I'm kind of shying away from, even though I know they're ripe for the picking, you know, but I just don't want to be angry anymore. I've been angry for two and a half years, basically, with this stupid pandemic. So, you know, as I, as I said once somewhere, like I'm, I'm two seconds from fury at any <laughs> given moment. So uh, I, I just don't want to spend hours every day being upset. And yet, you know, nobody wants to read something that's all just happy, happy, happy. So, you know, I've got to do something with drama. And, and so that's maybe getting a little harder. The process is a little easier. I, I, I know what I'm doing a little better. Well, you've been coming up with story ideas uh, for your entire life. At the age of eight, you wrote a story, uh, sent it to a local magazine. At 12, you sent in a TV script and trying to get it produced. Do you remember uh, anything about that story or that TV script? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, and I'm amazed I sent it in. Yeah. Um, but, oh, yes, I wrote it out in longhand. I, I think I even sent it in in longhand. And um, it was about a 12-year-old girl who murders her parents. And <laughs> <laughs> so like my mother said it could cause them many a sleepless night. That's right. <laughs> you know, she said she would lie in bed beside my father and give her, she'd look, she'd look over at him and say, what do you suppose she's thinking? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I I always had, you know, an imagination and it was always something, I was always making up stories and stuff like that. I, again, I think it's just something you're born with. I, I, I can't really take credit for it. I can take credit for the discipline and, and, and knowing what to do with it, but the DNA, interest and talent, I suppose, is just something I, I have. Well, Joy, thank you very much. Pleasure to speak to you. Congratulations on The Housekeeper. And I assume you're working on something else right now. You always seem to have something on the go. I usually do. But as I said, I've, I've kind of just <laughs> taken a bit of a break. I, when I finished it, I thought, I don't know if I have anything else to say, <laughs> but I'm sure something will, will come up. I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'll get another idea sooner or later. That was Joy Fielding on The Richard Krause Show. Her new book, The Housekeeper, is available wherever you buy fine books. A big thanks to Joy for stopping by. Also, a big thanks to Kelly McCormack. Check out her series, A League of Their Own, now streaming on Amazon Prime. So what if right here, right now, we forget the they don't get to decide if this is real or not. And thanks to Neil and Candle Osborne, find their album A Family Curse wherever fine music is sold. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>